At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. OK Talk is presented by the upcoming documentary, The Devil's Creek. Oh, what, you hadn't heard about that yet? The ongoing saga of the property and the people that it's affected. To help support the project or just to find out more, go to devilscreekfilm.com. It's, a, it's the first line of the film, man. It's got to be on the money here. Roll on the window, Bill. It's all right. Uh... Okay, cut. It's all right. It's okay. There's something to live for. Mm. Jesus told me so. It's all right. Uh, there's something to live for. Jesus told me so. Okay, great, Bill. But we gotta, we have to have fluidity in there. It's okay. Uh, this it's, is the, for the shits and for the birds. This is for the birds. Take seven. It's all right. It's okay. Um, Cut. Okay. You got to watch your teeth, too, because they clack a little bit when they loosen up in the mouth. It's all right. It's okay. It's something to live for. Jesus told me so. Bill, you couldn't ask for anything better. I think it was recorded too high. Let's go. Take 30. It's all right. Hold up. Take 30. It's all right. It's okay. This, uh, Jesus told me so. There's something to live for. Okay, cut. Take 31. No, is that enough now? No, listen, Bill. I ain't gonna do this anymore. That's all for me. Goodbye. Okay, uh, I'm gonna see what we have to work with. I'm gonna... Jesus Christ, man. Ladies and gentlemen, podcast recipients, universal citizens, fans of the spoken word, you've stumbled upon the auditory infiltration podcast known as OK Talk. I'm Clinton. To those of you who are listening for the first time, greetings. Welcome. We're glad to have you. I just want to say up front real quick, we announced about a week ago that we're in the process of making a documentary about the location known as Devil's Creek. To those of you who have already put your faith in us monetarily to help us get this project off the ground, I can't thank you enough. I don't take it lightly. I promise you I'm going to put every ounce of my soul into making something that we can all be proud of. I'm super excited, and I hope you are too. So tonight's going to be a little bit different. We're going to immediately get a live update from the state of Washington and Shane Corson of Monster X Radio to talk about some of the latest activities in and around the house. Being the amazing place that it is, it kind of seems like it's ramping up. And without further ado, I reached Shane Corson at an undisclosed location via the miracle of telephonic communication. How long have you guys been doing Monster X? So... We've been doing Monster X since about 2013, so over, you know, uh, five years. Been doing Monster X radio, and just recently, I don't know how to put this, but uh, upgraded our approach to, to what we do with Monster X radio. And so it started out as a very rudimentary, rough podcast. I think we've come leaps and bounds, and now that... This is an endeavor where it's not just about podcasting, it's about sharing research and, and whatnot. But uh, So we've been at this uh, for over five years now. It's, it's been a fun ride. It's you and Gunner, of course. Yeah, Gunner Monson, myself, Julie Ranch, and Thomas Seawood, they're in, engaged in this endeavor. And yeah, we, we're uh, coming from all different angles from all around the country. We're trying to talk Sasquatch with the folk. Shout out to Julie, that lady don't play, and shout out to Gunner who tossed me 
some coffee when I was up there at the OP with you guys. And I was just talking to you the other day. I think what you guys are doing, y'all are on point, sounding great. And we all come from the era of old school blog talk radio podcasts. In fact, I think myself probably more than anyone, I actually am going in reverse listening to stuff back. Some of my favorite things right now are listening to the Bigfoot Tonight Show. It's just spectacular for a variety of reasons. There's a lot of cool guests and obviously people that you and I both know that show up on there. But also just the whole concept of taking calls on a blog talk radio show is just mind-bending to me. Man, there's some hilarity buried in there as well as just some great, great encounter stories or just people sharing stuff. There's just some really good stuff. I've told several people that that story that Derek Randalls tells about having the tape recorder playing the baby crying is maybe my favorite Bigfoot story I've ever heard. Probably one of the scariest ones out there. You know, thank God he did it because I may have thought of it down the road here, but now that I know that he's already tried there, he's been there and done that, I don't want to do it because uh, it almost ended his uh, research career. It was one of those scenarios where he went out there and did it, you know, eight miles off trail by himself playing one of his kids crying over and over again over this tape recorder. He didn't want anything to do with research after the fact. So I'm glad he did it because I know that I will never do that. Right. Yeah. Just incredible. It's. I think it's funny. Now I'm stumbling across people that I consider my good friends now. Running into Monica Rollins on a podcast. You had several podcasts that you were involved in. Uh, that crypto... Logic, yeah. You know, maybe uh, you're, you're on to something, Clint. If you're, you're backtracking, In Search Of was a popular show back in the day, and people are fiending for that. Maybe we need to backtrack and take it old school. I'm telling you, there's some stuff on there that you just don't hear anymore. And I do think part of it is because, for one, the medium and the little small pond that we operate in, a lot of it is regurgitated stuff. And unless you're out there actually engaging the wilderness and all that that implies, you are going to just end up talking about stuff that happened a long time ago. Or This has been a way for me to catch up as I move ahead. It's a really cool thing. And I, I enjoy going back and listening to David playing his audio on there, just seeing how far everything has come. It's just amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, there comes a point in time where you can only regurgitate so much. And that's one of the things, you know, like with Monstrux Radio, Clint, you're, I think you're right on board with that, what you're doing with the OK podcast, is that uh, we're uh, providing new material. One of the things I'm really proud of uh, Monstrux Radio being involved with that is that the show where everybody on the show is actively researching the Sasquatch subject, and that's rare nowadays. You have some podcasts out there that are doing that, but we're actively researching and it's been a fun, been a really fun trip having you involved in this whole uh, Devil's Creek incident and having David involved and Derek Randalls and, uh, you know, Donna and Greg. I mean, it's been really fun. It's refreshing. It's new. And yet it's kind of like one of these scenarios where even though it's in a rare event, they do happen from time to time. But it's, I'll tell you what, what an adventure to be involved in such a uh, scenario as what we've kind of landed ourselves in yeah it's amazing in fact quick shout out to another person that's been to the creek mr cliff barrickman you and i got to hang the last time that i was in washington which i actually initially went up there to go to the creek because the people were staying there we decided not to hit it up uh, i got to go to the op with these guys if you don't know shane is I mean, he and Derek Randalls and the Mad Hunter, the man in the shadows, <laughs> fancy boots, uh, the one that busted my balls the hardest. And that is saying something because I got my balls busted. Uh, along with David Ellis, these guys, they are the Olympic Project. And I told everyone on the show, you, you guys had nests from the field in the Bigfoot bar, allowing people to look for hair, searching for DNA. 
Talk about being able to get involved on a level that is real difficult. Everybody can go to a conference and do the whole thing where they walk around and they see the same people that were at the last conference. And I mean, that's not a shot at those people. It's just if there are conferences all over the country, it's just like any other thing. It's a circuit. You know, you're, wor you're working your thing. The amount of detail, research, information, education, and then just the ability for these people to actually get their hands on stuff and actually be a part of the research and then to also be able to rub shoulders with the likes of the superstars, not myself, but the rest of you guys. It's just incredible and really cool. And what a great place it is that you, you have out there on the OP. It's, man, what a really cool thing. I, I, I know that you guys don't have any events technically scheduled out there. But uh, I, I will tell everyone that if you see the Olympic Project saying that they're doing a weekend, go make it happen productions because it's fantastic. The guys are great, family-oriented, but they're not stuffy about it. Just really, really, really cool thing. And some of the best people that I've met, period, let alone just in the small, small pond of Bigfootery. So, yeah, you were mentioning the creek. One of the reasons we're catching up is you have the unique ability in your professional life to have some free time on your hands, and you've been spending some time going up north to that mystical, magical land known as Devil's Creek and spent some time hanging out there. I'm not afraid to talk about whatever you want to talk about. If you want to address the fact that there was a sighting there and that you were the person that spoke to said witness, we can do that. Yeah, absolutely. I have, uh, I'm with you, Clint, of course. I know uh, what you're working on and what we're working on and trying to correctly document this whole enigma, this whole story, because it's truly one of the uh, biggest things I've worked on uh, in my life when it comes to Sasquatch research and everything that's involved with this, all the individuals and the whole story behind it and the story that's still going on. It's been a tremendous experience for me. I've been very fortunate, uh, even though I have to do uh, quite a bit of traveling to this area, as you say, to the north, and it's a fascinating story. It's a fascinating research area. It's a beautiful area that uh, has just this history and is a vibe about it that is unexplainable, and yet I have experienced some stuff out in this area, as have others, and it's just been a really cool endeavor to work with Donna and her husband, Greg, David Ellis, Clint, yourself, and the others involved in this, um, this journey. People know how creeped out I have been there and how I had some strange, strange things occur pretty quickly. And we'll get to the location of where some of those things occurred in regards to what happened recently with you. This guy right here, Shane, this dude, he, he's about going down and sleeping on the wood line, getting in the trees, which is terrifying to me because you have to... You know, one of the things that Greg said, you know, he'd be down there mowing the yard at the wood line, and he had this, like, terrifying feeling that something was just going to reach out of that tree line and grab him. And the woods there, and specifically the ravine, hold this, it's like this curtain that you don't know what's behind it. And, and I can't believe you're, like, I'm going and sleeping right there. I think that's amazing. So when did you first get to get your boots on the ground, as it were? Well, honestly, I can't, I can't give you a date. It was a couple of years ago. I, I don't remember the exact time. I just remember that uh, David Ellis had, uh, and Derek had reached out to me and were telling me about this area. And I was very intrigued by what was occurring. And David Ellis had been working on this for months. And he gave me the whole lowdown of what was going on in this area and Donna's experience. And I got to talk to Donna. It just made the whole story even more compelling. And so I did a lot of research on the surrounding areas. There's a rich history of Sasquatch sightings in that area, in, in the adjacent areas, whether it's sightings or vocals. And so I was like, wow, so there's precedence for supposed Sasquatch activity, giving the audio recordings that uh, 
Donna had recorded and David had kind of helped set, uh, set it up, I was like, wow, I really need to research this area. So I, I, I delved in, and I'll tell you what, uh, I'm glad I did because uh, I've learned a lot about that area. I've learned a lot about the individuals involved, and uh, I learned that uh, there's Sasquatch in that area, uh, which I found to be freaky in a lot of ways, but also it just floored me because this is an area that periodically throughout history you get these reports of people having consistent Sasquatch activity on the properties, and very rarely are they thoroughly documented. Well, this is not the case with Donna's property. It's being documented, and it's been consistent, and it's ongoing, and I was very, very happy, as I am now, to be involved with this. And heck yeah, I'll camp out on that property. It's, uh, as you touched upon, Clint, that tree line and the bush line is right there. <laughs> it's kind of like a, this crossroads, mm-hmm. like this uh, little wall. Once you uh, cross over, you're in another world, and uh, you're always waiting for something to reach out and grab you. Yeah. Here's the thing. I think a lot of people initially, when we started talking about this place publicly, I think that there are a lot of detractors that gave us the eye roll because a lot of people know or have this feeling of the habituation, right? The the people who say that they're always around or, but why can you never get pictures or they're out there feeding them pizza and then you get the person that's, oh, I can just walk right out there among them. But if I dared try to get any of the evidence, they would feel I betrayed them. And people have heard other folks go down this spiral of crazy before. When you talk about the evidence and the collection and the stars aligning on something like this, when I tell people about the amount of evidence and the fact that this is, as far as I'm concerned, and as far as I've heard, bring it, if other people have it, a place that's as active as this. But I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I don't know of anything that's ongoing and again, we're talking about something that's, it's not like it's there 24-7, 365. There's patterns for when it's more active and less active. But it is an area that constantly gets activity. And the way that the property is doesn't really lend itself to camera footage, you know, in terms of put a camera on the side of the house, you'll catch something because... When we discuss the wood line and the ravine, they are impenetrable. And you will tell here in a moment about your little thermal experience the other night there. Um, but this is just an example. So you guys were out there for a night or two, I, I'm guessing. I remember when this was happening. This would have been last summer, like June of a year ago. That would have been August that I was up with you. And so I knew that you had just been there. And we were having this conversation about you being at the Woodline. And by the way, what a great, great treat for all of those people that got to sit around that campfire and listen to not only the chaos and insanity caused by the likes of Amy Boo and Todrick Hale, but also us. We were just having a back and forth about the creek talking philosophies and craziness. These people were just staring at us. <laughs> <laughs> They're staring at us because we were kind of off in our own little world because uh, they had, you know, though they could partake in in listening to us, they had no idea what we were talking about. <laughs> right, right. Obviously, Todd knew what was going on. A couple of the others there had listened and barely knew. I kind of like to think of it. It must be what it was like for those people to stand around and listen to DeHinden and John Green go back and forth about what was occurring. And they're just like, wow, I'm getting to eavesdrop on such a classic case. (laughs) The only difference is with Green and DeHinden, those guys probably sounded a lot more intelligent than we did. Just saying. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. In their own way. In their own way. (laughs) I think that's why you and I... Besides the fact that you're cool as shit and all that, we, like, gravitated towards each other because I was excited to be able to talk to someone else who had been there, 
to me, you know, I had David, obviously Donna and Greg. Yeah, it was cool because it was kind of like that black hole experience where uh, we kind of just got sucked into this one little this one little spot. We were uh, all on the same page, and it was really cool because uh, everything meshed really well. There was no uh, BS. It was just uh, it was fun. Don't get me wrong; it was a fun conversation over the last those couple of days. But it really meshed, and there was a lot of things that, in my mind, clicked and made me more resound. It made me feel like okay. Uh, I need to pursue this even more so than what I'm doing at uh, what I was doing at that particular time. Right. And I think that's, again, the serendipity of how it all played out because as people who were paying attention to our podcast at that time, you know, we put out this episode with them and I'm like, I'm going to the creek and so super excited. Over the course of that week while I was up there, it just completely flipped my lid back on so many different levels. And it was such a strange experience, and I was, for one of the rare times in my life, speechless as to how to try to explain to people all of it. And there was just a lot of it. It was overwhelming, and it's one of those things where it makes you understand real quick how awesome Donna is because she's... I, I can't even put myself in that position to be her, to be there alone, night after night, that kind of thing, during the day, during the night. And to physically know that these things are happening outside, whether she's hearing them or not, in terms of the audio that they're recording. But when we started having the conversation about the fishbowl, we were like, sniper's nest, man. You can just, they're right there. I finally felt, after that, having that conversation with you, it helped me get past a lot of my hiccups in talking about some of the stuff that I haven't really told a whole lot of people this. But there were days and days after that, I'd be working the overnight shift up here at the network. So I was off during the day a lot. I sat on the phone with Donna for hours. We spent hours on the phone. Yeah. Because to me, she was the only person that I could start to get a lot of that off my chest with. Where I was just, it's not like I didn't quote unquote believe whatever that means. I don't know what that means. But I experienced it at such a level that I couldn't put it into words to people without sounding, I didn't want to come across sounding kooky. Not that I'm afraid of people thinking I'm kooky, but I didn't know how to, how to put it into words. And, and when I realized you had been up there, I was just like, oh, shame. Oh, God. It was like, oh. There was like this little secret that, that we knew about. And there's the guy that shows up there, this super badass former military guy who just so happened to live really close to the place that was there. It was just incredible, incredible to hear somebody that was kind of in the pathway of destruction of the storm be like, oh, yeah, man, that shit was popping like the entire time I was living there. And it's crazy because in the moment, you know, you don't really realize how important it is to have those shared experiences. And then I valued us being able to connect on that level alone. I valued meeting up with you because the first time we had actually, we've talked on the phone uh, over that uh, a lengthy period of time, but we've never actually physically met. We got to meet each other. And it was kind of like that uh, involvement in this kind of secret or whatever have you, whatever you want to call it. And then meeting that individual, this guy that happened to live in close proximity to where Donna was living and had his experience, I mean, real, relatively speaking, a stone's throw away. And, I, my, you know, my jaw hit the floor. But you talk about, like you d did, Clint, um, kind of knowing this stuff and not being able to talk about it. Well, I mean, I, I always go back to Donna. I think about it, I think about, you know, Screaming in the dark if you're a mute. You know, it's kind of like, uh, who do you talk to? you got nowhere to go. And the way the cards fell, she approached the Limb Project and uh, found some open ears that could uh, understand what she was going through. I, I guarantee, going into this, Derek Randall, probably David Ellis as well, you know, they're very skeptical about this stuff because as many other research groups and organizations out there get this stuff, and a lot of it's just unfortunately 
hokey. It's just there's nothing to it. It's known animals, and there's nothing to it. This time around, we found an individual that was very sane, that had a really great background, which she had partaken in in her job description and everything else. We're very fortunate because not only was she of sane mind, and not only did she live in, in a fantastic area, but having done a little bit of research out there and obtained some recordings, we knew that there was a lot more to this. And now we know, after the fact, after her initial sighting and experience and everything that transpired then, that there is indeed some very, very odd occurrences happening on that property, and not just once, not just twice, and not just over a year, but over three years. And we now know that it's actually continuing on. It's not stopped. It was really cool to have you up at the Olympic Project and, and discuss some of the stuff that has transpired over the years and uh, get your feel for it, uh, throw some ideas around. That was actually a really, really fun experience, and I hope at some time down the road you make it back out this way. Um, obviously, we, you know, I know you've got plans. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know you laugh because I know we've got some big plans. <laughs> yeah, and I think all of the people around that campfire had a wonderful time. Probably the people that put their tent a little bit close to that campfire did not have a good time that evening. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait to see her. I'm going to high-five her, and then she's going to give me the biggest eye roll. So, yeah, so in terms of present-day activity, people who have listened to the podcast will understand this voice that was captured recently when you were there. Let me go ahead and introduce everyone again to um, this guy. So this night, were you, do you remember if that was one of the nights you were on the porch or when you were closer down to the woods? Yeah, that night I was on the, I was on the porch. Uh, I'll be honest, I did not hear that in person. That was recorded after I had uh, went to sleep. I'm sure it was after the 2 a.m. time frame because I had stayed up late that evening. So I was on the porch. I had recorded that. I did not hear it in person. I had sent David all this audio that I had recorded, and here we go again. You know, it's uh, back to Devil's Creek, and guess what? Nothing's changed. We still have some odd occurrences and odd vocals and everything else. I mean, other than what I experienced that time around. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> here we go again. Was this before or after the sighting, the recent sighting? That was after the sighting. So I had obviously gone out and, and uh, talked to the witness that had th that recent sighting, and I decided to uh, spend two nights out there. Part of that recording was one of my nights out there. Now, I hate to do this to flip back. I thought this one was more recent, but David did just say, you should throw this one in. This was recorded um, on the 30th of last June, so the second night you guys were up there with the girls. All he has told me, again, I haven't heard any of these, all he's told me is, you may want to throw this one in. It's uh, it's another voice, one that's been recorded before. So let's give this a go. Dude, that's creepy. Yeah, it's nuts. I do want to go ahead and discuss about your situation there the other day. Because I think this is going to be the kind of thing. Let me just say this. I, I was on the phone with the producer two days ago. Shout out to Carrie. Right after you and I talked. Right. And this is one of the reasons why what we are trying to do what we are going to do, what is happening right now is so important because it's one thing to hear a story, to hear a past case, to hear a legend of an area. For us to 
not really be getting a lot of audio off of the property for a while because there were some people there. You're able to insert yourself out there after this, after this crazy, crazy sighting that occurs. Would you classify that as a full body sighting? And I'll just tell everyone this. This is a part of the documentary. Yes. I mean, we've, we're all but guaranteed to get this cat on camera, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, here's the thing with that, too. Yes, they're, yeah, absolutely. He's ready to roll. So what I'm saying is we don't have to give the story away, you know what I mean? But would you say, was that like a full body? He saw a full body sighting. It defied anything that he could describe uh, as known. You know, it wasn't a bear. It wasn't a human. It was huge. And he could describe it as something unknown, you know, and it floored him. And he knew nothing about the history of this area. Right. That's what's so crazy. People have to understand. There's a reason why we are preserving some of the secret knowledge of this magical land. Because we don't want it contaminated. You know, I'll just go ahead and say it right now. We all wish that someone that we knew or that all of us, that we could just straight up buy this place from Donna and Greg so they're not carrying two notes so that we could have this place. We don't know how much longer we're going to have that chance. That's why everything involved with this project was sprung up the way that it was. That was that we're we're hustling to make it happen. I feel like every day that we get no news is good news for us. It may not necessarily be good news on the other end, but in the end, it's going to work out how it's supposed to work out. And I believe Don and Greg feel the same way. Yeah, real quick. I'll, I'll, let me say something. No one's going up to this area. It's vacant again. Nature is starting to take over again where they were manicuring the area. And now the bushes are getting big. And now you're getting back to the time frame when it lay vacant for four years. It's the same scenario. And I think the Sasquatch are, I don't think they uh, necessarily inhabit that area year-round. But they're definitely in that area uh, periodically. And now you got this, uh, who knows what's going on out there now when nobody's around. Part of this endeavor when it comes to documenting this is realizing the fact that we're back at square one again where we have this kind of prime real estate in a prime area and there's nobody out there. And that to me is really appealing. Yeah, especially with what just happened to you the other day. So I think we're going to trademark this right now. We're calling that area the sniper's nest, right? That's that's what that place is. When I was discussing with Tim on Strange Familiars, with Shannon, as I've done with, on the podcast, the area by the fence where I heard what sounded like something jumping the fence or hitting the fence and then running away from there where David was whistled at while he was still getting stuff out of the car. Uh, this really strange area where you can basically, you could move a platoon up into this area and the people in the house would be none the wiser because of this devil's highway of sorts that's ripped into the earth and the old growth coastal rainforest that's around it. I'll just tell you, you sent me this little video when I saw where you were. Like, it didn't freak me out. It's just like, holy crap, how is it that something is happening right over there? So, it's nighttime and you heard something in the ravine, yes? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about that. And then we'll get to the incident, the videotape. So you're, you've got your little area down there. And tell me what you told me the other night about what you kind of experienced. Yeah, so I got out to, to Donna's property around 7 p.m. It was still daylight outside. It was starting it a little bit dark. It really didn't get really dark till about 9.30, 10. It was still fairly daylight, and I set up uh, my recorders, and I set up my therm and everything else, and I set up my tent. I'm camping out on the property. I'm kind of feeling, out, feeling it out and listening, enjoying it, because it was a really nice summer evening. No rain, few clouds, but it was just a beautiful, pristine night out. And I thought, well, you know what? If nothing else happens tonight, I'm going to get a good night's sleep, and I'm going to enjoy this pristine area and the views and everything else. Well, as the night progressed, it got darker and darker, obviously, and I'm camping out and recording. Probably around 10-ish, 10 at night, I started hearing something moving up the ravine. 
and we know that ravine pretty well, don't we, Clint? So yeah. I heard something moving up the ravine. It wasn't crashing or making any big noises, but it was it was something. So at first, you know, I, I'm very skeptical with it when it comes to this stuff, and I know that there are a lot of animals in this area, whether it's bear, cougar, deer, raccoon. I mean, there, all these animals are out there. But whatever it was was very much so creeping up this ravine. Within an hour, it kept getting closer and closer. Uh, it got a lot louder. And then it, whatever it was got up through the ravine and just kind of parked its butt or, or stayed silent. So I was like, okay, I can probably have a very expensive FLIR on me, a FLIR Scout biocular. And I thought, well, shoot, I can get this on FLIR. And as I was scanning around, while well, the brush was too thick and that ravine's pretty deep, I realized that I'm probably going to have to go down there and approach it to get anything on FLIR. And I did at one point approach the ravine, and whatever it was seemed to either go up the embankment towards the road or down towards, uh, it, it backtracked. Mm-hmm. So I, I go back up to my camping spot, and whatever it was approached back up the ravine. And it was kind of like a cat and mouse game. And so, but I could never get a heat signature uh, because whatever it was never got out of the ravine. And I'm not going to say it's a Sasquatch, but I'm telling you it was weird because uh, when I would approach, it, usually these animals, you know, whether it's bear or deer, they'll, you know, you approach them, they'll take off. Whatever it was, and it did sound rather large, uh, did not, it would retreat, but would come back. And I thought that was odd. That was very odd. And uh, so um, as the night progressed, you know, I could hear something move around that ravine. And it was ticking me off because I could not get it on FLIR, but I could hear it. I was very curious. I was going, okay, this is interesting. Well, eventually I got tired and went to bed. And um, that was my night. I ended up packing up my campsite and whatnot and had, uh, I eventually sent you that video because I had that ravine noise going on about uh, 6, 6.30 in the morning. I heard something come towards my direction and bounce off the ground. So I instantly grabbed my cell phone and aimed in that direction. And I didn't record uh, visually what was thrown, but I did capture the audio of what was thrown. I mean, you could hear something hit the ground and bounce across towards me. It's very interesting because of something, it was just like something was around the whole night after, you know, that 10 o'clock hour where uh, it just hung around, you know, up and down the ravine, making large sounds coming from that ravine, a lot of loud noises. It really defied anything uh, that I would expect. It just, it kind of blew my mind. The whole experience, that whole night, I was on edge. Whatever was moving was moving very quietly, but I could hear it. There's no reason for an animal to be moving up that ravine to the sniper's nest in terms of, oh, here's some food, we'll leave it out. That animal is so for sure wants to get to that food that if you get up, it spooks it and it runs off, but it's still going to try to sneak back up. The whole idea of the creeping and approaching, retreating, and then coming back, you're right. That's not something that a deer would do. The, the whole bear thing makes no sense there. Maybe a cougar because it wanted to eat you. That would have been its mode of attack. Right, it would have come from the bottom up. It wouldn't have come through the ravine. It doesn't have the high ground, right? Right. It, whatever it was, it wasn't your normal animal behavior. Definitely not. And I knew that. Right, right. And then the other thing I want to point out is, and I think that's just a perfect example of the sniper's nest, and it's crazy. I'll just go ahead and get weird with you for a minute. I had a dream about that the other night as if I was there yesterday. It's the craziest thing. It's so real that I can't believe it didn't happen. It was as if I was um, with the people that are helping us make this movie, and I was showing them we're in this ravine. We get up to this point. Look at the house. I can see it as clear as day. In my mind's eye, I was standing there again. David and I walked back there uh, the morning after we had initially arrived. And I had heard something, and I was still confused as to what the hell is going on. I mean, we seriously had just been there. Something jumps over that fence, and I hear it run. 
And it took me, I'm telling you, Shane, it took me a year to go ahead and admit, okay, I guess when they say that you hear something that's several, several hundred pounds, that's huge, run, that that is what it would sound like because it just didn't sound normal. You know what I mean? Uh, how do you say to someone, oh, you know, when you're watching the Lord of the Rings and a troll runs by, you know how they, like, how that sounds? Like, that's what it sounded like. Like, it jumped a fence and it ran. That's all you have to describe it. You have to be there. Uh, you know, it's just one of those experiences where if you've never in, been to Africa and heard an elephant run through the brush, yeah, I mean, yeah, you can describe it. But unless you're there, you're not really experiencing it, so it's hard to describe. Right, and I think that's about the best description of it, is that that's the only kind of animal that I could imagine that would make that kind of noise. I'm telling you people, what, what would you say? Did that happen last week? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, one of the interesting things I didn't share yet was I interviewed that contractor. on Before I interviewed him, he was busy working with his crew. He was the foreman for the company. And so he was the boss man. I mean, this guy that uh, saw what he saw on the, uh, just down the road from the property, uh, really close to where Donna had her experience or her sighting, I said, hey, when you take your break, come find me, or I'll come back up here. I'm going to walk around the property and head down towards the ravine. But I went down quite a ways. I wanted to get down to the area we were just describing. And as I'm making my way down there, I started to smell... Uh, a very pungent smell. At first I thought it was a skunk, because it, 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 it smelled like a skunk. And then it got more pungent. It smelled like wet horse manure. Not, not a smell that I've ever smelled before. Not something I was familiar with. And I kept getting deeper and deeper down there, to a point where I felt, quite honestly, as I told David Ellis, I felt a little uncomfortable because I was by myself, which is, I, I do that all the time. That's not a big thing for me. I get out in, in, into the woods all the time, and I smell all sorts of smells. I've been around every type of animal out there, you know, bear and everything else. And I started getting down deeper, and it got very pungent and very fresh. And I knew at that point in time that I was near whatever was emanating this smell. Whatever, this smell was coming from something living or dead, possibly, but I was getting very close, and I got a little uneasy about it. And I don't usually get that way. And uh, I decided to backtrack, which is uncharacteristic for me. I don't usually do that. Usually I'll continue on, but it got my cackles up a little bit. I got a little bit weirded out. And quite honestly, you know, I don't, I'm no shame saying this. I, I decided to turn around and go back up and decided, you know what, it's uh, probably a good time to go do this interview. Um, but I, I won't forget that because... It was in, you know, Devil's Creek, and that smell, I mean, I, it, I can still smell it now. Now, I'm not going to scream Sasquatch, but I will say that I'm, I wasn't familiar with that smell. Uh, it was just uh, one of those, you know, it's a story. I, maybe I should continue on. Maybe I shouldn't have. I decided to not continue on. Uh, but I, I thought that was interesting, something of note. No, that's great, because... And first of all, thank you for telling, telling me that because when you and I initially discussed this place around the campfire, my assertion of the creepy factor of the place, there is a general sense of unease at certain points there. And you are Shane Braveheart Corson. Scott, right? <laughs> to hear you say, I have to be honest with you, I didn't feel comfortable. This is a place where Donna described it when her and Greg one day were like, we're going to walk down the ravine and try to figure out what's down there. They essentially hit what they felt was, for all intents and purposes, a room. And they both felt like we are not supposed to be here. It's the quintessential rabbit hole. Be prepared to go down it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Man, I can't can wait. And I know Shannon can't wait. And... That there's a little bit of a psychological experiment that we're running with this place. There's the obvious chase in the physical that is happening here. And, you know, just to play into the continued mystery, yes, the ve vegetation around that ravine is super, super thick. And, yes, that could totally be the reason that the thermal wouldn't pop. It also could be 
because ooh, maybe it wasn't a Sasquatch or a mountain lion, you know. <laughs> so, and I mean, that's the thing that I think all of us are more than generally fascinated with the area is that there are elements of the story that are truly frightening in a way that a lot of this stuff isn't. Now, sure, if you see a gigantic beast and he bears his teeth at you or carrying a pig over one arm and giving it to a horse with the other, I mean, that's terrifying. There's something different about this place, and I don't know if it is because once you get there, you're at a disadvantage almost immediately. I had permission to bring a friend into this area from Donna and David, uh, a very close friend. I can't mention his name, but... His first impressions, he was floored. He was floored. He said it was like a scene from Star Wars. It was a completely different world. It was like Jurassic Park. And he was just like, wow, what a difference. Where the sunlight didn't penetrate this area, where it was lush. I I hadn't noticed that before, but he really brought it to my forefront. I was like, you're right. You know, it is. You know, you get out of the whole suburbia thing and you get into this forested area, and it's a completely different world where all bets are off, that it's steep, it's rugged, it's wet, it's wild. And he was just floored. He's like, I don't even want to get out of the car. (laughs) So (laughs) that's the sort of setup we're dealing with. And he was very uncomfortable. He realized that uh, this was unfamiliar territory, and it was not quite what he expected when he got out to this area. It has this vibe about it, but yet when you look at the historical reports, like I mentioned before, Dating back to the Native Americans, um, and now more recent stuff going on here, it played a part into him not wanting to get out of the car. He's like, wow, yeah, I can see why Sasquatch would be here. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So this is crazy. This may sound fantastical. There are places in the world throughout time immemorial. There are forests. There are wooded areas. Once you enter them, you figure out real quick that, not make it out of here. It is the Garden of Eden, but definitely the Devil's Creek. I'm so thankful. Every single person that gave anything, it's magic. And I honestly can't believe it's happening. I have to wake up every day and remember again that, yes, in fact, we're doing this, but we're doing this because of the people who are listening to this. We're doing this because of you. We're doing this because of Don and Greg and Shannon and Matt and everybody that's involved. And um, it's on like Donkey Kong. And thank you for uh, giving us a, a literal live update from the Devil's Creek. It's been my pleasure. I, um, I'm super stoked about this endeavor. I think the story needs to be told. It's not just something that's in the past. It's ongoing. It's going on right now. So who knows what could be captured. Uh, stoked about you guys coming out to this area. What a pleasure that's going to be. We can do this story justice. I know we will. I really appreciate it. I know you're just as excited as I am. I mean, I guess I just wanted to go ahead and at least give you the opportunity to go out with a bagpipe solo. (laughs) Well, please do, man, and fish on. Fish on. Must have. So, hey, do you know um, our boy, the kilt maker? I I don't know him, but I know of him. Yes, I do. Do you have a kilt? I have three kilts. Oh, geez, of course you do. (laughs) And I have bagpipes. I'm legit. I I wasn't kidding, right? And when we come up there, you're going to specifically have your face painted in blue and red. Well, it's funny because I've been teased. People have told me that I need to do a Bigfoot documentary and be called like the Highland Squatcher. Where I get in my kilt and I go out look for Sasquatch, I think uh, that may (laughs) take away from the subject matter. But we'll see what happens. You never know. Right. We definitely might want to use 15 minutes of our film crew to put you on the most elevated position we can find in the area and then fly the drone over you while you play the bagpipes down the hill. How amazeballs would that be? You know, like a sweeping 360 view over your head while you're... I mean, it'd be like the Ricola thing, only the other way around. It would be. Just don't fly the drone underneath the kilt. That's all I ask. But, I mean, we're trying to get the ladies involved too, Shane. Hey, hey, the kilt's for a reason. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Is Shannon Grove planning coming out this trip around, or is she planning coming out after the fact? Yeah, no, this trip. Mrs., I want to be scared. Oh, I want to scare the shit out of her. To be honest with you, I want to scare the shit out. I want to scare the shit out of everybody. Not on my end. 
I just want them to experience Devil's Creek. And I really appreciate that. It's going to be freaking epic in just getting these individuals out there that are uh, like, oh, okay, I'm in the Sim Northwest. All, all bets are off. Man, it's <laughs> awesome. Sword in your dreams at night and feel inspired to assign me up to the front line. We'll give the order, you'll storm the border without me. If they tell you you're a genius, but you need some proof, ask anybody on the payroll to go out with you. If they avoid you, They'll award you definitely. Nobody that's around you seems to get it right. How hard is it to follow just a few guidelines and smile while you do it? If you want a page written about you in you need a food tester cause you curse the cook I'll take some wine but you can dine without me without me who would let you play God and make believe that all the blasphemy is coming only from me Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.